Welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs show, a safe place for women to heal and grow, where we discover our value, share our tears as we go through the hard times and rise up as we become empowered to meet our challenges head on. Why do women get stuck in a cycle of abuse? It's a big question that society can't seem to wrap its head around. Why doesn't she just leave would have to be the biggest question asked by people who know someone who is in an abusive relationship. My answer to this question might surprise you. And although there is a long list of reasons why she doesn't just leave, there is one reason that needs to be talked about to help more women understand what is happening to them. They need to understand that thing that keeps women stuck like super glue in abusive relationships. And before we open the door on this week's episode of Tiara's Tears and Triumphs, let me ask you a question. Can you tell me what abuse is? Because each person that listens to this will likely have a different take on what it is. And some who listen may not be able to put it into words what abuse actually is. And I want you to know that this is no fault of your own if this is the case. The reason it's so hard to define abuse is because it can mean many different things and it needs a context for it to hold enough weight to be able to give a voice to it. So let's give it some context today and let's give it a voice because when we take a closer look it will become clear that until we understand what abuse in a relationship is women will continue to go into abusive relationships and they will stay far longer than they should the best way to protect women is to educate them so that they know what they are experiencing and can give it a name and then they can take a hold of that and get the support that they need to navigate a safe path away from the abuse okay stick with me it's going to be an eye-opener okay let's open the door on today's episode just a caution if you feel unsafe at any time please stop listening you can come back any time you are in a safe place to listen to the rest of the podcast your safety is the most important thing to consider Welcome to another episode of Tiara's Tears and Triumphs. The thing that prompted today's conversation was that I was asked to talk on another podcast about the subject of abuse. And when I saw the topic, it took me back to the time when I was caught in a cycle of abuse. And I remembered how long I was in that relationship and how long I had no idea that the things that were happening in that relationship could be described as being abusive. 
even when it was first explained to me by some really lovely volunteers at the local court when I was seeking to get a restraining order, it was still like trying to interpret someone speaking another language to me. When these lovely women describe the different types of behaviours that go on in abusive relationships and asked if these things were happening to me, I sat there trying to process what they were saying to me. I kept nodding my head and crying my eyes out while I, I was just shivering and shaking because I was so fearful at that point in time of being in that court setting I knew, I knew just deep down how much taking that action of seeking to get a restraining order, how that would impact on what would come next from my ex-partner. I knew that he'd be angry with me because I was finally holding him accountable. But what they were trying to get across, these lovely women, just couldn't fully sink in. I was in survival mode and I was just far too stressed to comprehend what they were saying. So I'm hoping that when you listen to this episode that you will be able to go back and listen to it anytime that you are feeling calm, that you are feeling as though you've got the attention capacity to be able to take in the things that I am saying because when you are in an abusive relationship you can often be in a very nervous hypervigilant state and that makes concentrating on anything really really difficult. So for me at that time I wasn't yet able to own what they were saying and, you know, to say emphatically, yes, like that didn't have that aha moment. You know, I didn't understand, yes, I was being abused. Yes, the things that were happening to me were all different forms of abuse. I wasn't fully buying into it. It was still you know, because I was still dealing with these huge feelings of shame also that things that had gotten so bad that I felt that I had no option left but to get the authorities involved was a horrible place for me to be. And so I was so consumed by all these powerful emotions that were really preoccupying my mind that I couldn't process what these women were saying. And I tell you, there was a doubt there too. And I really want to talk about that because I had a doubt that what if I was wrong about this? What if it isn't actually that bad? What's happening in my life? What if it isn't actually that bad? What if I'm going to be responsible for the person that I am holding accountable? What if by doing this, by getting this order, court order in place, what if that means that at some point he's going to end up in jail? I felt a huge level of responsibility. And even though the things that were happening to me were beyond my control, 
I still felt the weight of responsibility of holding him accountable for the things that he was doing. So I was right to think that he he would be angry and there would be repercussions uh, because when he did come and see me, even though he wasn't supposed to, according to the restraining order after I got that granted by the court, he knew because he was always one step ahead and he, he really did know, he did know um, the law. So in a way that he could use it to get away with whatever he wanted to get away with. So he knew that I didn't really understand the terms of the order yet and he knew that he'd be able to breach the order at least that first time by coming and talking to me. He felt pretty confident that I wasn't going to go and report that to the police. Even though I was in my rights to do that, <clears throat> he knew, excuse me, he knew that I didn't understand yet what the terms of the order actually meant and what my responsibility was to uphold that order. So he banked on me being too scared to take that to the police and he banked on me not knowing my rights. So that any time that he breached the order, no matter how minor it might seem, that um, I didn't yet understand that it was my right to go and report that to the police. And in effect, that's what I should be doing with the order. And that had not been properly explained to me. Everything just happened in such a, it was like such a surreal experience that I didn't understand exactly what was happening. I was being represented by the police and, um, and I had no idea what I was actually getting into. So nobody sat down and broke down each term and said, well, this is what it means in your, uh, the day-to-day -day sense of what you might experience. Um, and if you experience these things, then please come and report them to us because they're all breaches and your um, ex-partner who you've got this order against they will be held accountable for those breaches at some point in time when justice catches up with them, which is something else I didn't yet understand. Um, anyway, getting back to this in initial time when, um, when he came to see me, We'd been separated for quite some time, but this didn't stop him from coming around and trying to wear me down until I had nothing left in reserve uh, to make me weaken and give him another chance to get his foot back in the door again. But at this stage, at this particular stage, we weren't living together. And part of the reason I had the restraining order was that I was really trying to keep the separation as being final um, because he wouldn't take no for an answer. So just imagine, um, you know, we had our day in court and he now had a restraining order against me that said he could not have 
any contact with me. And within a day, there he was. He was standing on my porch saying to me, what have you done? What have you done? And when he said this, he made me feel like all of this was somehow my fault. And he said, I haven't committed family violence. I have never hit you. And what could I say? All the other hundreds of things that he had done, I could not come back at him and say with confidence, no, you may not have ever hit me, but you have used and abused me and I have a right to put a stop to that. So in that moment when that happened, I had no comeback and I allowed him to persuade me to remove the order because, I, as I said, I felt this huge responsibility and I second-guessed myself and I thought maybe I've done the wrong thing. So luckily the courts, they are really used to this happening and they didn't allow the order to be removed completely. They just changed the terms to the most basic term of him not being able to commit family violence. And I am so, so glad that the order was in place because things escalated and within weeks I was back at the court pleading for them to reinstate the full terms of the order, which they did. So luckily the courts are very experienced with this. It happens a lot. Perhaps if the courts took more time to actually explain to victims what the terms of the order mean and how that will practically play out in their lives. They may have um, less of this happening, but um, be that as it may, it is a common occurrence for the courts to go through this. So now there is, you know, the reason I'm sharing this with you about my own experience is just to let you know that it's quite normal to have all of these conflicting feelings and emotions going on. And it's quite normal for you to be second guessing yourself about whether you are in an abusive relationship or not. So, Um, It's widely understood that the main driver of domestic or relationship abuse, and, you know, it's commonly known as domestic or family abuse or violence. And for me, I think, you know, we could break it down because I know that it happens in different relationships. It's not necessarily in a couple it could be between a parent and a child. So I understand the reason to put it under this broader umbrella of domestic or family, but my area of focus is really in the area of relationship abuse. So the main driver of that is the need for power and control. And for me, That is the academic reason. But under the reason, that reason is um, behaviours described as abuse. So that one word can mean many different things. Abuse can mean many different things. And 
And I don't come to you as an academic, okay? I come to you as a woman who has lived experience with a relationship that became high risk for myself and for my children. And if I can help any women who are in a relationship that is making them feel miserable and has them walking around on eggshells all the time, if I can help any woman like that to get a better understanding of the word abuse so that she can get it into some context with what she is experiencing in her relationship to know it is better to break away than to stay in a relationship that will only get worse over time. It is better to break away than stay. It's vital to look at your insecurities and ask where do they stem from? What is causing these insecurities in you? Something that is important to you is feeling threatened and that's making you feel insecure. So what is that? Is this something that comes from your partner? Is it something that your partner is doing in your relationship? That's the question that you need to be asking, okay? And if the answer is yes, then let's go that next layer deeper. I really want you to listen to what your gut is telling you. Do you feel like you're being lied to? If you do, then listen to that. You may never be given the truth by a partner that cheats and lies, but when you see patterns emerge, you may not be going crazy like you are being made to feel, okay? And something to look out for is an admission that he might make in the things that he say says, but it, it won't be something obvious. He won't say, you're right, I've cheated on you. Um, and I'm going to give you a, an example, okay, because the guy who cheated on me would tell me repeatedly that I was too good for him. And when he said that, it was this is always when, you know, the relationship was um, breaking down and, and I thought, or it was when I had called him out about some a lie or that he was cheating. And I, when he said that, when he said to me that he wasn't good, good enough for me or that I was too good for him, I thought that this was him feeling remorse for letting me down in some way and for him being afraid to live into his full potential because I saw what an amazing potential he had if only he got his life on a good track but that was not happening and it didn't happen in the time that I knew him but each time that he said that to me that he said that I was too good for him he was actually saying to me he was actually trying to communicate to me that without admitting it that he was a player that he was never faithful to me or that he was a liar, that he would never be truthful with me. And 
I just chose to interpret what he said in a way that kept me justifying staying in the relationship in a way that kept me justifying persevering with trying to keep the relationship together. And as time went on, I became more and more heavily invested in the relationship. First, we had one child, then another, and then another. So staying in a relationship to try and keep the family together is something lots of people do because they want to fix everything that's wrong in the relationship so that the kids have an opportunity of growing up in a family with two parents. That's what it comes down to. You don't, you see a single parent family as being less than, you know, and you're thinking about it from the perspective of your children and wanting to have them to have what is perceived in society as being normal and what is perceived in society as being normal a stereotype is a two-parent family but that's not actually real life because there are 50% of marriages end in divorce that means that there are splintered families 50% of families you know with children end up being splintered and end up having you know a single mum and end up being bounced between mum and dad there's all sorts of things that go on the primary consideration really is that your kids are getting their basic needs met so are they getting the security that they deserve are they getting the love that they deserve are they being treated well are they being looked after you know are there is their health being um, looked after properly are their needs being met okay this is the most important thing and you know if you need to break up with your partner because he's abusive then that's going to be setting a good example for your children because you wouldn't want your children to stay in an abusive relationship you would want them to break free from that too so getting back to this admission that my ex would make to me without being very clear with me and saying oh by the way, you're right, I have been cheating on you. Or by the way, you're right, I have been lying to you. He would say to me that I was just too good for him. And he really, you know, he really took advantage of me wanting to keep the family together. He knew how much I wanted the kids to have both parents and he would use this guilt strategy directly with me as well as, which is far more destructive, he would manipulate the children to make them feel responsible for him so that they would then put pressure on me to take him back. And um, that was a horrible place to be. Things can get really messy when you get caught in a cycle of abuse or when you're breaking, your relationship is breaking down. And I'm going to say something now that I wish that someone had said to me when I was in that relationship. I want you to really listen to this, okay? 
You are fighting a losing battle if you want to change a person more than what they want to change themselves. That's it. It's That's the point is you're not in control of somebody else. You're not in control of changing them. And I know that time is the only evidence to show you that um, that this is true because we all need to be given a second chance. You know, that's completely normal and understandable. And I get that you need to turn the other cheek and give the person an opportunity to follow through with the promises that they've made to you to change. But you need to understand that if they keep demonstrating to you that they're not interested in changing themselves, that they're just paying you lip service, they're just telling you what you need to hear, but they're not actually behaving any differently, they're not changing a thing, then you need to give yourself a break and you need to walk away. The sooner that you break away, the sooner that you get back to a place where the clouds can start clearing and the light can start filtering back into your life again. I'm sorry if I've gotten a little off point, but we all understand this principle. We would not expect, you know, if we all understood that, you know, if we all understood that you're fighting a losing battle if you want to change a person more than what they want to change themselves, if we understood that, then we would not spend so much of our good energy trying to help other people who aren't really interested in doing the work to change. It's the same for my coaching clients. I can only help you if you want to do the work to what you need to do to achieve healing, renewing and rebuilding on the other side of leaving an abusive relationship. If you don't want to do the work, then I'll be fighting a losing battle trying to help you. There's no point in just wishing for a thing. You have to take any necessary steps to take it that you need to take to get the thing that you're wishing for. You need to take action. Okay, I think I have made my point. So please hold on. Just don't go anywhere. Don't just stick with me. I want you to know that everything I'm saying is coming from the benefit of hindsight, okay? I remember a good friend asking me when I would talk to her about how unhappy I was when I was being bounced around that cycle of abuse and I would tell her the types of things that had been going on and tell her that he'd apologised and he'd promised that he would never do that again and, um, and she would ask me, do you love him? And the answer was always yes. But that wasn't the right question to ask because I believed that love would conquer all. And so I allowed love to blur the lines of my better judgment. I allowed love to get rid of any boundaries that might put a stop to the cycle from going on. Now, I'm not blaming my friend for asking me this because this is often the right question to ask a lot of the time when 
people are going through a bump in the road with their relationship because all relationships have their ups and downs because 50% of marriages, as I said, ends in divorce. So it is a very good question to ask a lot of the time because when both people in a relationship do love each other and when both people in the relationship want to work on healing the relationship, then who knows what's possible. But when you're in an abusive relationship, you're probably with a narcissistic person who has absolutely no intention of taking responsibility for themselves and will only give you lip surface when making promises to change. So when I mention love, it is one of the biggest reasons that women stay in a cycle of abuse far longer than they should. It was certainly true for me. And if you've been listening for a while, you would have heard me talk on other episodes about this, about the emotional cord that keeps women tied to the person that they would like to break free from. So it's worth talking about because when we gave our heart away to this guy without having any healthy boundaries in place, we gave our power away to them too. Okay, now let's talk about what abuse actually means. Because the lack of understanding people in general have about what this word really means is a huge reason why women stay stuck in a cycle of abuse. If we don't understand that something is happening to us, we do not know what we can do to change it. That's why it is so important for women to understand what abusive behaviour in a relationship looks like. Women need to have a context that they can compare it to so that they can relate to it and see, see it for what it is. Instead of bad things happening that they cannot put a name to, we need to change this. When women get clear that it is abuse, they can take the appropriate action. So let's take a look at the definition of abuse. So according to Wikipedia, abuse is the improper usage of a thing, often to unfairly or improperly, imp <laughs> improperly gain benefit. Abuse can come in many forms, such as physical or verbal maltreatment, injury, assault, violation, rape, unjust practices, crimes, or other types of aggression. As a verb, it can mean to misuse, to misapply, to misemploy, to mishandle, to exploit or to pervert. For example, in the context of a sentence, he abused his position of power by undermining her and ridiculing her. As a noun, it can be to mistreat, maltreat, ill-treat, ill-use. For example, men who abuse their partners should be held accountable. 
When using the word abuse for the improper use of something, I'll give you an example. He has a problem with alcohol abuse or he has a problem with drug abuse. Or when using the word for cruel or violent treatment of a person or animal, an example could be she had bruises that indicated where he had physically abused her. So you can see there's a lot of things that abuse covers and abuse is when someone causes us harm or distress. It can take many forms ranging from disrespect to causing someone physical or mental pain. It can occur in someone's home, a care home, a hospital, a public place, pretty much anywhere. Often people who commit abuse are taking advantage of a special relationship. Now, we're not going to go into the why. We can spend an absolute lifetime trying to understand why people do abusive things, but that's not going to get us very far. It can just keep us stuck in a place of confusion. So it's better to understand what abuse looks like for women in abusive relationships. So let's get into the nitty-gritty of some warning signs of an abusive person. One, they are jealous and possessive. They want to be with you constantly. They accuse you of cheating all the time. They follow you around and keep tabs on you by calling you frequently and may even have put spyware on your phone to keep track of where you're going. They may ask friends to check up on you too. Number two, they use controlling behaviour. They constantly question who you spend your time with, what you do, what you wear, what you say, where you go. They may they make you ask permission for certain things. They act like you don't have the ability to make good decisions. They hide controlling behaviour by acting concerned for your safety. Number three, they are quick to get involved. They will want to get engaged or live together before they have known you more than six months. They claim love at first sight. They pressure you for a commitment. They say that you are their everything and that you are the only one that can make them feel this way. Number four, they have unrealistic expectations. They compliment you in a way that makes you seem superhuman. They over-flatter you. They expect you to be perfect. They say things like, I am all you need and you are all I need. Which brings us on to number five, they isolate you. They put down everyone you know by saying your friends are either stupid, slutty, or they accuse you of cheating with your friends. They will say that your family is too controlling. They don't, that they don't really love you or that you are just too dependent on your family. They refuse to let you use the car or talk on the phone. They make it difficult for you to go to work or to school. They try to cut 
off all your resources and this can be also by controlling the purse strings or depleting accounts and leaving you feeling trapped to a point where you're living hand to mouth. It might even be in the area of uh, medication too. They might, might withhold medication from you. Number six, they blame others for their problems. Nothing is their fault. If there are problems at their school, if they're studying or at their work, if they're working, it's always someone else's fault. If anything goes wrong in a relationship as well, it's always going to be your fault, not theirs. They won't take any responsibility for their behaviour. Number seven, they blame themselves for the way they are feeling. Did I say they blame themselves? I did. That's completely the opposite. They blame others for the way they are feeling. They try to make you responsible for how they feel. For example, saying things like, you're making me mad or you're hurting me by not doing what I ask you to do or I can't help being angry or it's your fault I got so jealous because you're so beautiful. They won't take responsibilities for their own feelings. Number eight, they are hypersensitive. They are easily insulted. They see everything as a personal attack. They look for fights. They blow things out of proportion. They are unpredictable. You can never tell what will upset them. Number nine, they are disrespectful and cruel to others. They may punish animals or children cruelly. They are insensitive to pain and suffering. They tease children until they cry. They don't treat others with respect. They are dismissive of others' feelings. Number 10, they use playful use of force during sexual activity. They have little concern whether you want sex or not, and they use sulking or anger to manipulate you into compliance to do what they want you to do. They make sexual degrading, sexual degrading jokes about you. Um, so number 11, they use verbal abuse. Number 12, they have rigid gender roles. They believe that women are inferior to men. They are unable to be a whole person without a relationship. Number 13, they can be like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. This is where they have sudden mood changes, like they have split personalities and you don't know where you stand and you feel like you are walking on eggshells. One minute they're nice, the next minute they are exploding. Number 14, they may share experiences of past abuse where you may have heard that they have been abusive to someone else. You hear them say that that's a lie or that their ex was crazy or it wasn't really that bad. So, yeah, lots of um, lies and excuses. Number 15, they make threats. These can be threats of any kind. You 
things like you do that and I'll do this or you say that and I'll do this or if you do that, just be careful because you don't know what's going to happen next. So um, and there can be a whole, you know, lot worse that goes into making threats. Number 16, they break or they strike um, using an object. So they they might break a loved possession or destroy a loved possession. They might slam a door. They might be beat down hard on the table with their fists. They might punch a wall. They um, might pick up an object and throw it. So uh, number 17, they use force during an argument. So it doesn't mean that they're hitting you. They might just push you or they might shove you or they might physically restrain you from leaving a place or moving away from them. And this is abuse. And number 18, they don't respect your property or your privacy. So ignoring the signs of abuse. So all of these things that I've just run through, they're all examples of different types of abuse that happen in relationships. So ignoring the signs of abuse can be costly. You can, you may think that you are managing and you can bear the unbearable for longer, but you are not in control of anyone but yourself and you don't know when or what might happen next where things might go too far. So it's not worth playing with fire. And that's why my number one message is to put your safety first. So if you've identified with the things that I have shared as examples of abusive behaviours, or what constitutes abuse, and you relate to some of those things happening to you in your relationship, I encourage you to please seek some help. And a great place to start is by talking to a domestic abuse counselling service to talk to someone about the types of things that you are experiencing in your relationship and seek advice on what you can do to keep yourself safe as to the next steps that you might need to take to navigate out of that abusive relationship. So always be mindful you are the expert in your situation and you know the way that you are being um, abused and manipulated and used. So if it, you feel it's unsafe to use your uh, mobile or your phone to call and speak to a counselling service, then get creative and look for an alternative way that you might be able to have that conversation. And if that means possibly going um, on a shopping trip and stopping off at the police station and having a conversation with them and asking to use a phone to speak to a counselling service, a domestic abuse counselling service, then um, then do that. Look for other ways that you can have that conversation without using your own telephone if that's going to put you at risk because your safety is the most important thing to consider all the time. So, and if you feel that staying is the only option, my heart 
goes out to you. I know how impossible it seemed for me to leave my situation. And that's why I will never, ever, I promise I will never stand in judgment of anybody who chooses to stay in an abusive relationship because I know how complex it can be and how hard it can be to actually break away. But the main thing to do is to do your all to keep yourself safe and keep yourself sane as well because that is also going to be very challenged for you as long as you stay in that relationship. I remember how I would dismiss doing anything radical because I was trying to hold on to the fragments of normality that still existed in my life. I was afraid that there might be no bouncing back after cutting myself off from all that was familiar to me. And I'd be lying to you to tell you that breaking free was easy it wasn't. I had to make extreme choices. And, you know, they say that desperate times call for desperate measures. And it is so true. I had to make some really drastic changes to have a shot at having a life again. And thankfully, it has paid off. And I just want to give you encouragement because I've spoken to many other survivors of abusive relationships and none of them have regrets about leaving that person. That's not to say that they weren't full of doubts and uncertainty about their life on the other side or that they didn't have to go through breaking that trauma bond that they had with that person, which can be very painful and can take time. There are so many considerations. There is, you know, that emotional trauma which has you in such a heightened nervous state that undermines your self-confidence. There's the worry about how you're going to manage on your own. There's the shame and embarrassment you feel for having not or having got involved with someone that is so destructive and so cruel. So there are the hard yards you may need to put in with support services to get all the basics that you need to survive covered and possibly a loss of dignity and self-esteem that might be experienced as a result of being at what you might perceive as being rock bottom. But don't look back and question if you made the right choice in leaving because you deserve to be safe and to feel safe in your home, in your relationship and in your community. That is your right. So I hope that this episode has given a little more light to the types of things to look out for in your relationship to work out whether it is abusive I hope that what I have shared has given it more context and given you something that you can relate to in your relationship. And even better, hopefully you're not experiencing any of those things in your relationship. But we are human and heightened emotions can lead 
to abuse. So for me, the flip side of power and control is insecurity. So the person who needs to, feels a need to exert power and control is coming from a place of insecurity. And it's really good to understand that because we all have insecurities and so there will be behaviours in amongst all those things that I've just listed off where when things have got heated, you might see reflections of yourself in those things. So I just, you know, wanted to share that because I want you to know that that's quite normal because even I can say to you that, you know, I see a reflection of myself in um, I know that I can be hypersensitive with my husband. I know that because I have to, you know, because I had to defend myself against a highly abusive person in the past, being reactive has become a default for me. It means it's an automatic response for me and it's not necessary. I don't have to react in that way, Um, but because it's a default, it's something that I need to reprogram in myself. And um, so this is something that I identify with and I know that I need to work on and it's something that I consciously do work on every day. I don't see myself in, you know, a very large percentage of the examples of being an abusive person and I know that the thing that separates me from an abusive person is that I take 100% responsibility for my behaviour and I'm self-correcting. So when I say I'm self-correcting, I mean I'm self-aware. I can see when I've done the wrong thing and then I go and work on fixing that thing in myself. We are all on an evolutionary path in life, okay? Um, And that evolutionary path is actually we're not all on it when I say we're all on it we're not all on it we have it's actually a choice to be on that evolutionary path you have to choose to want to evolve to want to learn to want to grow so um it's what we should be doing as human beings because we that's what we do when we come into the world we learn and we need to continue to learn through all the days of our life where that is going to help us to grow to be to live in it into our potential and if we don't then we stop ourselves from living into our potential so it's a choice it is a conscious choice that people make So some people choose to walk on that path and others don't. Um, If you don't walk on that path, you end up being a disempowered person. So um, even abusive people are disempowered underneath it all because They are not taking any responsibility for the things that they have done. So they're stopping themselves from 
learning and growing and becoming a better person. So um, we are all on a journey, but it's much better to have an awareness and to have an awareness of your own behaviours and have an awareness of the behaviours that are happening in your relationships with other people because you get to choose. You get to choose who you want to be with and um, you, you get to choose your boundaries and you need to have those things in place. You need to have your boundaries in place to have healthy relationships. So I hope that this episode covering different types of things that might be happening in a relationship that is abusive, I really hope that this helps you and I wish you well. I send you light, love and blessings. Until next time.